you're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to be working our way through the book of Galatians. I try to do a book a year, and I've been here four years this past June. And uh, so I think I've gone through three books and a section of Acts, but I, I want to take on, I've prayed about it, and I feel like the Lord wants me to go through the book of Galatians. Martin Luther, the reformer from the 1500s, said the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it, of course, epistle is a letter. To it, I am, as it were, in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine was his wife. Uh, and he considered the book of Galatians like, uh, like his wife. Obviously, Galatians was Luther's favorite book of the Bible. Matter of fact, 40 years ago, Chuck Swindoll said, Galatians has been called the battle cry of the Reformation and the Magna Carta of spiritual emancipation. But what many uh, modern day reformers forget is that there was a Reformation long before the 1500s, long before 1517, uh, when Luther, who was a Catholic, former Catholic priest, posted his 95 thesis, uh, basically 95 things he felt were wrong with the indulgences of the Catholic Church at that time. And I praise God for the Reformation and all the evangelical denominations that sprang out from it. Praise the Lord. Many people have heard the gospel because of that Reformation. But we can't forget that there were multiple Reformations throughout world history. When we say the Reformation, it's actually kind of sad to me that uh, people only remember a person or an event. And they don't always remember. That's the first thing is mentioned is, is Luther or the 1500s or the 95 Thesis. And they forget about the God who inspired the Bible and who was the sole catalyst of multiple reformations long before Luther. God reformed the Garden of Eden when he made animal skins to cover Adam and Eve. Uh, I'd say that the great flood with Noah's Ark was quite the reformation <laughs> in the world. Uh, and matter of fact, a thousand years later at the Tower of Babel, uh, that, was quite, that was a great reformation. God disturbed all the languages and mixed it up. And perhaps the greatest reformation was after Jesus ascended when, of course, on the cross was a reformation. But when he ascended, he poured out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to the church in one single day. So what happened leading up to every one of those reformations, right? What, why was there a reformation? Why was there the reformation? Why did it happen in the 1500s? Why did it happen years ago? Because the people of God traded their relationship, their genuine relationship with God for something else. And the reformations, not one, but many, were God's plan to get back that relationship. I don't know if y'all understand, but that is the theme of the entire Bible from the flaps to the maps. It's all about God getting with you, God knowing you personally. And that's really what the book of Galatians is all about. Leading up to Pentecost, as a matter of fact, God's people traded that relationship for a more formal, uh, less accountable religion, right? It's called Judaism. Uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, all the religious elite who controlled the laws of the land. They abandoned the spirit of God and traded it for 
legalism. So what does the Reformation at Pentecost in AD, roughly AD 33 have to do, as a matter of fact, before the book of Galatians was even written, and the Reformation from Martin Luther that he helped begin in 1517 have to do with the message today. What, what is, why am I talking about reformations? Because they have everything in common. Because there's a problem in the church with doctrine. It's, it's enemies come into the church over and over like a cycle and they bring with them a false doctrine that's been recycled for centuries and it is legalism right? Galatians is all about Christian liberty, what some scholars call the cornerstone and the spiritual dynamite of the Protestant faith. Matter of fact, the man who said that left the faith. And I think it's partly because he abandoned his relationship with Christ for a religion, a formalized, archaic, wooden thing. Swindoll said, no other book except Romans, perhaps, so forcefully and pointedly answers the question, and this is the book of Galatians. This is what it's going to answer. Are we saved by believing or by achieving? No other book grabs legalism so firmly by the throat. The deeper we dig into this mine of theological and practical wealth, the richer we shall be. And the more we shall understand why Luther called the letter his own epistle, to whom I have plighted my troth. That sounds this pretty archaic speech, right? And, and, but the word plight actually means pledge, and the word troth means truth. So to plight one's troth means to bind oneself to another as in marriage or to pledge one's oath. Galatians is a plea from Paul to the Galatians to pledge their oath to Christ and his grace, not to man and the law. So before we jumped into Galatians, I wanted you to understand its purpose. And by the way, this is the only letter that Paul wrote to multiple cities. It was written uh, to the city of Pisidia, Antioch. This is in southern Galatia, was a region. Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. You can read all about that in Acts 13 and Acts 14. So let's start out with the greeting this morning and read Galatians 1, 1 through 5. And it's a short passage, so why don't we just stand for the reading of God's word in honor of him. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Baylor Hill to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Baylor. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to thank you for waking everybody up this morning and everyone safely to church. Uh, VBS starts this week, so I hope that uh, the Lord touches the children's hearts that are going to be attending VBS and that they decide to commit their life to Christ. Um, I also want to pray for Went this morning and um, that he that God speaks through him and helps him find the words to preach today and I ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Baylor. I can be seated. All right. Uh, church, you know, when you walk into your kids' rooms, 
they may be messy, all right? And so sometimes you go into your kid's room and you're like, hey, clean your room up, all right? And, uh, and you may even stay in there for a second to get them going, you know, like, okay, let me actually see you pick something up, all right? So the, you, you see them start, and then you go off and you, you're about your daily chores, but maybe you're putting up a load of laundry an hour later and you walk past their room, and it not, not only is not cleaned up, it actually looks a little messier than when you saw it an hour earlier. So what do you do? Do you use the same tactic? No. This time you don't mince words, <laughs> right? Enough with the niceties. You're about to speak direct. Y'all better get this room cleaned up or else, right? Here's a, here's a scarier version of that. Let's say that Piperton Baptist Church didn't exist and we had just started it. Y'all are all new members of a new church called Piperton Baptist Church, all right? But I, I had to go out of town to see my grandson. And I, I go out of town for a few weeks. And when I come back, the sign no longer says Piperton Baptist Church. It says Piperton Mosque. And all of you are following a different religion. Y'all, that's what happened to Paul. <laughs> that's what happened. That's why he's writing the book of Galatians. He started these churches, bounced out for a minute, comes back. And oh my goodness, their doctrine has changed. H.A. Ironsides was a wonderful Bible scholar who passed in 1951. He said, in Romans, we have the fullest, most complete opening up of the gospel of the grace of God that we have anywhere in the New Testament. In the letter to the Galatians, we have the glorious gospel message defended. So Romans gives it and Galatians defends it against those who are seeking to substitute legality for grace. Church, this is a vicious cycle in Christian maturity. I've seen it all my life. Believers become serious about their faith. And when we get serious about our faith, what do we want to do? We want to read the word. We want to get in the word. We begin to see sins in our life and notice things and notice sin in others. But if we're not careful, we'll slowly start measuring other people's faith and our own through the law. I don't do this. I do this. You don't. I do. You do that, I don't. And everything becomes more about form than function, more about religion than relationship. Showing up instead of actually growing up in our faith. So what do we do? <laughs> we don't throw in the towel, right? When we're leading a people who've wandered so far from the truth, or how about growing up in a world like we're in right now that seems to have abandoned all faith in Jesus Christ? What do we do? Well, step one, and this is really what I want to talk about today. We turn it over to the authorities. <laughs> hey, we don't have the horsepower to deal with it, but God does. And that's how Paul opens his letter to the churches. Galatians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. And as I read this, something really stood out to me. And it was what's not there. What's not included here is shocking to me. Paul doesn't mention his, his street cred, right? <laughs> All these things he's done in his life. So first I want to just mention the excluded authorities. And I'll mention three of these. First, Paul excludes his own common sense and logic. Now I've had this conversation uh, with several people recently because Christians tend to have two common confusions regarding common sense. Number one, they believe that what's missing from many of our nation's world, our world leaders is 
common sense, right? How many conversations have you had about the lack of common sense? And number two, we believe, Christians believe, that common sense is separate from saving faith. You know, you got your common sense because you grew up and your daddy taught you common sense, but then you got your faith and the things God teaches you. And both are wrong. We forget 2 Corinthians 4, 4, which says, in their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he doesn't say he blinded their eyes. He says he blinded their minds. They didn't lack earthly sense. They lacked heavenly grace. Church, that is what this world lacks. They don't need common sense. They need God's grace. They need the truth of God, the freedom of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them. They need the forgiveness of their sins and the righteousness that comes only from the Father. Paul could have used a common sense argument to kick off his letter. Matter of fact, he'd done it before in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. He says, uh, it says, uh, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, and, and then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So he's using logic. So Paul can and will reason with the Galatians. We'll see that in the weeks ahead eventually. But that's not his main thesis or authority. Church, listen. Stop trying to interpret this world's craziness. Multiple mass shootings in the last two weeks. California's drought, pretty much the whole West, Lake Mead is drying up. Inflation, political unrest, Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot. And you can't interpret this world's circumstances with good old common sense logic. You can't do it anymore. It doesn't work. Well, you know, logic says, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no. So how are you going to do it? Followers of Christ don't interpret the world with a secular worldview. We interpret it with a biblical worldview. What you think is common sense is actually a gift from God. I could tell you stories of this, but I've I got to move on. Doesn't mean we shouldn't write letters to Congress. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote for biblical-based decisions. Doesn't mean we shouldn't love our country and wave the flag. That's not what I'm saying. Paul, what I'm saying is Paul excludes that argument from the basis, his thesis of Galatians. Second, Paul excludes his own sacrifice. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, he goes on a tirade of his own sacrifices. You know, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me uh, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? I was sitting there during worship. I was thinking about Ella. There's a, there's a couple that visits our church and they have a little daughter named Ellen. I was thinking about her and I was actually in tears during worship <laughs> because I was thinking about some of her needs. She has some rare bone marrow issues. And so there is a burden that we bear for one another, right? I bear a burden for you. I think about 
I think about people who are lost. I've pulled into this parking lot many a morning and wept, not because I'm not happy, but because I'm weeping over the lostness, over people who still need to come to know the Lord. I'm weeping over sickness and people who are dealing with tragedy. We've had tragedy strike our church this week. People have lost loved ones. Brothers have died suddenly of people in this congregation. And Paul says all these things. In addition to that, my anxiety for the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who's made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That's why I like videos like that with Ellen. That's what if that's reality. Yes, she, she tries to teach them the word of God, but they're also kids, right? Paul doesn't begin Galatians by saying, hey, look at how awesome I am. Matter of fact, for Paul, it would have, uh, would have been what this generation calls virtue signaling. You know what virtue signaling is? Basically pretending to be for a cause without having any real substance behind those words. Paul made real sacrifices, but he excludes them from his argument. Third, Paul excludes his education. Acts 22, verse 3. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Now remember, this is the Gamaliel that was mentioned back in Acts chapter 5, verse 34, who saved Paul's life. Uh, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while, right? So this was a big dog who had influence and honor among all the people. And he taught Paul directly. But Paul doesn't appeal to Gamaliel right here, right? I mean, I've studied under some great godly men. Dr. Travis, who's gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, Dr. Meeks, who's still there, praise the Lord, at Blue Mountain College. In seminary in New York, uh, Dr. McLean and Dr. Shepard. Dr. Shepard went on to be a missionary. Dr. McLean's now in Memphis teaching at the seminary. He was attending here for a minute, but now he's preaching at a church. My own father-in-law, uh, Dr. Tommy Vinson, who was my pastor before he was my father-in-law. And then Dr. Jeff Ginn, who leads all the mission work in the Americas. He's a fellow missionary, professor, lead pastor that I served alongside of for years. And I've quoted all these men in my sermons to make certain points, but Paul didn't do that. He didn't mention any of these of those. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, and I, when I came to you, brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul doesn't mention any of his own accolades, such as common sense, sacrifice, and education. So what does he mention? We have the excluded authorities, now the included authorities. And what tops the list? His apostleship. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle. All right, well, what's the big deal? Didn't you say that Paul didn't want to give himself accolades, but then he's like saying, hey, I'm an apostle? Isn't that the same thing? Why is he throwing out that title apostle? Well, the word apostle literally means sent out ones. And there's two ways that this word is used in the New Testament. First is in the specific sense of the t- original 12 disciples, which were replaced, Matthew, anyway, uh, when Judas was replaced in there. Uh, and some people even call Paul the 13th apostle, whether that's uh, <laughs> valid or not, I, I don't, uh, it doesn't, it's a moot point to me. The second way it's used is in the general sense, to all followers of Christ, right? That's, that includes us. We are called out. We've been sent out to represent 
Christ. We are ambassadors of God. That's what we are as Christians. Now, a person doesn't have to be, didn't have to be an apostle uh, to have been an author of Scripture, right? God inspired men to record what He alone preserved for us today. But even the men who wrote the Bible, the New Testament specifically, were not apostles. The ones who weren't apostles were in close relationship or ministry alongside of the apostles. And Luke would be an example of that. He wrote uh, Luke in the book of Acts, but he was not one of the original 12 apostles. He may have been one of the 70 that were sent out later. But uh, anyway, you're getting, I hope, my point. Specific and the general. Matter of fact, Barnabas is referred to as an apostle in Acts 13 and 14. And the exact Greek word that's often translated apostle is the same one that Paul uses in reference to Titus in 2 Corinthians 8.23 and in reference to Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25. Right? So it's true that all believers are apostles in the general sense of being called and commissioned by God to serve God and share the gospel. But Paul had a few more apostolic uh, credentials, right? Uh, God spoke to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, about Paul. And it says, but the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go for he, Paul, Saul at the time, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So whether Paul was considered one of the 12 original apostles, you know, the replacement or not, uh, doesn't matter. He was definitely a specific apostle chosen by God for a specific task whose letters were actually Scripture, on par with Scripture. I'll give you one example of this. 2 Peter 3.15, just as our beloved uh, brother Paul also wrote to you, this is Peter speaking about Paul, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So Peter, speaking about Paul, says that his writings were scripture. So Paul wrote scripture. And theologians have noted that the qualifications of this type of apostle, this specific type, were threefold. One, you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Right? So Paul saw Jesus. He didn't see an apparition. He didn't see a, uh, it wasn't a, a vision. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a daydream. Right? He actually saw a Christophany, you know, he saw an, an actual Christ himself. Number two, to have been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. We already mentioned that in Acts 9, 15. And number three, to have the ability to perform signs and wonders. Acts 2, 43 says, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 11 and 12, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So Paul met all the qualifications of capital A apostleship. He saw Christ with his own eyes. He was chosen by the Holy Spirit and through the Spirit had the ability to perform signs and wonders. This is a big deal because a lot of cults and other religions try to discount the teachings and preaching of Paul. So why does apostleship matter? 
Well, because as scholars have noted, the apostolic foundation of the church refers to the apostles' unique role in the overall design of the church, not the structure, the, right, the theology. To be the immediate messengers of Jesus to carry out his authority and preach the gospel faithfully. But get this, even in Paul's appealing to the fact that he himself is indeed an apostle, the way Paul says it is like a thesis or an example of his premise of the book of Galatians itself, meaning even in his included authority as an apostle, he doesn't take credit. But yeah, he is giving, he is saying I'm an apostle, but he says in Galatians 1.1, it's not from men or through man, but it's through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So the authority Paul appeals to, even in his role as an apostle, is the Lord. Church, Paul is constantly appealing to not just his apostleship, but secondly, his power. Apostles are, are called out, separated. There's, there's a sense in which uh, all Christians are separated from the world, right? Our views, I hope, are different. <laughs> Our lives and thinking are hopefully different from the world. But there are similarities. We bear similarities. We mentioned this a few weeks ago in our series on parenting, that we, the pa kids bear the resemblance to the parents. And we're, to, we're made in the image of God. Right? Romans 8, 11, Paul said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So who exactly is he who raised Christ from the dead? Right? Who raised Christ from the dead? God did. Romans 8, 11. Galatians 1, 1 says it this way. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So church, listen, my desire for you today is that you understand the depth of power in speaking with other people and the strength and authority that God gives us in proclaiming the truth in an untruthful world. You have the same strength in you that raised Jesus from the dead. Please don't miss this. Paul excludes earthly authorities from his argument in setting up the purpose of Galatians, right? So what gives him the right to say these things? First, his apostleship, but second, his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul's about to spend six chapters, 149 verses, 3,084 words, less than I'm going to speak to you today is the book of Galatians. <laughs> He's going to be convincing the Galatians of this power that's available to them, which leads to the third authority, and I've got to move quickly. That's his message. Paul had seen as the risen Savior. He was commissioned by God and performed signs and wonders. But did you know that all believers have experienced those three things? Well, I mean, we may not have seen Christ visibly, and we're not apostles with a capital A, right? But the truth of Christ has been revealed to us. If you're a believer, the truth of Christ has been revealed to you. We have been commissioned by God. And we do perform signs and wonders. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I was with you on those first two, preacher. I don't know about that. Ain't no hocus pocus coming out of these hands, right? Well, 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, the signs of a true apostle were performing, performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. But what were those signs? Well, Romans 15 verse 18 explains, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring 
the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. That's what he did. That's the wonder. So how did Paul accomplish this obedience? Was it by legalism and public lashing? Churches used to do that like hundreds of years ago, you know, like, like, like literally beat people in, in public. Was that, was that how he did it? Did he do it by guilt and, and hard and heavy-handed leadership? You know, guilt them into it. No, verse 19 says, by the power of signs and wonders, Romans 15, 19, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that, so that what? What did these signs accomplish? So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So church, don't miss this. <laughs> Paul's ministry in the gospel was infused with the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit it brought was part of Paul's signs and wonder. Paul's ministry and message to the Galatians and his personal relationship with them served as an authority in what he was about to say. Church, listen, don't underestimate the power to speak hard truth into someone's life, especially someone you've served and you love. Service to others is a gateway to hard truth. I may speak hard to you sometimes, but it is only because I love you and have an intimate relationship with many of you. Now, Paul did heal a lame man in Lystra. You know, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, Acts 19.11. But Paul's not appealing to those miracles as his authority. He's appealing to the power of the Spirit to change lives. And that's the same power that we have today. Well, I got to jump ahead. Fourth authority that he mentions is those that are with me. Galatians 1 verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me. He's saying, hey, Galatian churches, I'm not alone. I wasn't alone when I was with you the first time planting those churches, and I'm not alone now in my way of thinking. I'm accountable to others. One theologian noted, Paul mentions these recognized workers to legitimize further his apostleship and authority. Throughout this chapter, Paul cites his association with the apostles and key church leaders as a way to substantiate his credibility and apostleship. Today, we might call them references, right? Not just people that say nice things about us, but people who know us well and have served alongside us and seen us in stressful situations and still like us, <laughs> right? Let me ask you, church, who, who you got with you? Do you have anybody with you? Who can substantiate your authority? Who can say, no, I've watched him at home. I've watched him at work. This is who he is. Well, let me just end this message with the synopsis of the book which is in verses Galatians 1, 3 through 5, is the synopsis. I'll let Paul speak for us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, not to bind us up under the law, but to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand? Father God, we worship you this morning. And I know it may be a, an awkward introduction, but Galatians is full of such incredible truth. And if we can chip away at the barriers 
that the Galatians were experiencing, the false teaching, false doctrine that was leading them astray in their faith, really binding them and paralyzing them in their faith, then we can be more free to serve you. Father, we, we, we want to lay hold of our liberty. We talk about freedom a lot <laughs> in, in, as a nation, but the whole time we often forget the freedom we have in Christ. So this morning I pray that if anyone here today does not know you as their Lord and Savior, they would understand that, you, that you've been seeking them. You've been desiring the salvation of their soul and they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's not a magic phrase. It's a heart surrender to God. Just tell the Lord, I, I confess my sins to you, Lord. I ask you to forgive me. Save me. I believe you died on the cross or you arose on the third day and I believe you're coming back and I want to be one you come back for. Cry out to him. Speak to God. Speak directly to God. I pray for the others who may just not have a church home yet. Maybe they already know the Lord, but uh, maybe they need to come and get uh, their baptism correct or join this church to be part of the service of God through here. Lord, I believe it is your will for the people of God to exercise their spiritual gifts that they received at salvation through their local church. And I pray you would raise up more people who have more gifts to serve through us here at Piperton. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.